But welcome to the Paragold Podcast. This is Jerry Pickney, and I'm joined today by Alvin Arnold, a resident here in Paragold, and probably by far the fastest man that we've ever had in this room. And so, uh, Alvin, thank you so much for making space to be here today. Thank you, sir. So, this is the first time that we've been in a room together. I've yes, heard sir. a lot about you, um, but I, I don't know all the details other than uh, you have won, I know, hundreds and hundreds of, of ribbons and medals um, from your days in track. I know you competed in the Senior Olympics, won several events there, and want to get into that, but before we talk specifically about your racing days, tell me a little bit about your background and, and how did you get to the Senior Olympics? Well, uh, I'm going to just back way up farther. I was born February the 6th, 1939 in Rector, Arkansas. Uh, my mother and dad had put in a uh, music, I mean, put in a jewelry store there in 1935, and they moved to Paragou when I was three months old. And from that then, uh, I realized as I was growing up in school, grade school and all, I realized back then, because they had what they called May Day back then at the end of the school year in the, for the fifth grade and sixth grade, and one of the things was they had a 50-yard dash, and I won the 50-yard dash in the fifth grade and the sixth grade, and that's when I finally r really realized that I could run. I didn't know that I could run to the end. <laughs> and after that, then, I remember when I uh, my mother and dad lived at 919 West Emerson then, and I went out for football in the seventh grade only weighed 87 pounds and the assistant football coach uh, tried to talk me out of it because he thought I was too little but I still wanted to try it and anyway later on that day the the football coach lined everybody up on the goal line all seventh graders and all eighth graders and all ninth graders and we had to run to the 50 yard line I beat all the seventh graders that day and beat all the eighth graders and only three ninth graders that beat me that day. So that kind of got my coach's attention that day then. So. Yeah, I'd say so. Anyway, I went on and uh, through the seventh grade, I ran, I, I played 20 quarters of football in the seventh grade, ran three touchdowns that year. To my knowledge that I could back up, the only one ever went through Paragou school system and ever, ever had a lettered as a in the seventh grade in junior high. I, I went, of course, I played eighth grade football, ninth grade football. The ninth grade football team I played on was undefeated back years ago. And when that I went. That had to be one of the only undefeated Paragold teams. I don't know if right. I've ever, at least in my lifetime, I've never heard of a Paragold right. team going undefeated. I, uh, in the ninth grade, I went to the state track meet as a ninth grader, and I ran third in the state then. And that kind of began to get wow. my attention more, you know. So then in the senior high, then I played uh, football in the 10th grade, 11th grade, and 12th grade. Did something else with the grace of the good Lord helping me. Back in that day and time, Paragou used to always play Jonesboro on Thanksgiving Day. That was a big, big game at that day and time. In, in the 11th grade, Jonesboro came to play Paragou at Old Harmon Playfield. Mm -hmm. 
and they were picked to win that game by six or seven touchdowns that day. When we went in at halftime, the score was seven to seven. When we came out at the halftime with the help of the good Lord Almighty, an event I took part of, never forget, we kicked off to Jonesboro, and a boy named Denson Moody took the kickoff and returned it for a touchdown against Paragou. We lined back up, and they kicked off to us, and with the help of the good Lord Almighty, I took the ball on the 14-yard line, and I made it all the way to their goal line. Wow. This was back-to-back kickoffs returned for touchdowns in the second half, and only 38 seconds had ran off the clock. <laughs> wow. Paragou ended up winning that game 20-13. to It was considered to be the biggest upset in the state back then. Well, I went then to a man who was head of the Arkansas Activities Association. His name was Wadey Moore. And I didn't do that then, but probably about five or six years ago, I was telling this story to someone. He said, you need to contact Wadey Moore and tell him about this. So I remember contacting He was head of the Arkansas Activities Association. I remember contacting him. He said, Alvin, he said, I have people say they did this, and they did that, and they did this, and they did that. I said, wait a minute, Mr. Moore. I've got newspaper clippings from four different newspapers that this this took place. He said, really? I said, yeah. He said, have make photostatic copies of those and have the superintendent of Perigou High School to send this to me and say this did take place just as this is saying. So that, that took place on it. He came back to me then in two or three weeks. He said, Alvin, he said, that is the only time in history – that we can tell in the state of Arkansas in either a junior high game, a senior high game, or a college game, there's been back-to-back kickoffs returned mm-hmm. for touchdowns. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was – back then I didn't think anything about it like that, I guess you could say, you know. Yeah. But in later years I thought, well, that was pretty good, you know what I think. Absolutely. Do you uh, remember um, as you reflect on that game – can you still recall the emotions of oh, the team? I can do Almost better than that. Like. When we when we went in at halftime to the to the room there where we well went at halftime. When we came back at the back out at halftime to get on the field, there were so many people that had been listening to that game on the radio. We could not even get on the field to start with. The end zone was covered up with people. Mm. And then it was just not – we weren't ahead or anything, but it, we, we were tied at 7-7, seven to seven and that was – we were supposed to be getting our tails beat. Yeah, that yeah. didn't happen. Anyway, went ahead, and, and we ended up winning the game like that. Then my senior year then, uh, Perigou would have also went, I think, undefeated. But in we played at Newport, I think it was, my senior year. When they lime the field off, they're supposed to do it with flour. Newport, somebody had made a big, big, bad decision, and they lined that field off with lime, and it rained that night. And after the Newport game, we came home. There were seven or eight of us were put in a hospital because we had lime burns. Good. So we missed the next game. The next game, we got beat by Walnut Ridge <laughs> when seven or eight seniors 
didn't weren't able to play in that game back then. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good excuse for losing the next game whenever <laughs> you're, you know, half your starters at Limeburn. Correct. And wow. Limeburn, and I can remember this about it too. Uh, Dr. A.E. Andrews was a coach's medical doctor. And I remember uh, we were going to try to play in the next game, but I remember going to his office on a Friday morning. And, of course, the, on, I had blind burns on my hips. And when he pulled the pads off before we pulled them, he said, Now, Alvin, this may hurt a little. Man, that wasn't what I called a little because, I mean, it hurt so bad I went clear to my knees on the thing. And he said, you're not going to be able to play tonight. So I, I missed that game. Like I say, six or seven other guys missed it that same night. Yeah. Well, so you played – you didn't just play football. You ran track. Yes, sir. And that's what took you to college. Yes, sir. Where did you – did you get a scholarship in college? I had three scholarships offered to me to come play college football. University of Arkansas came to me and offered a scholarship to just come run track at Arkansas. Then I only weighed 140 pounds, and I decided that I was awful small to try to play college football. Now, the first year I was at Arkansas, I'd popped up to 155, the second year 165, which still was not very large. But at Har- at then I ran a 9900, a 9600, I mean, in my sophomore year when I was at Arkansas. And if I had stayed, I might have tried it, uh, you know, longer. But my wife and I got married at semester of my sophomore year, and I finished it and came home and never went back. Now, you always – I think everybody has something they would redo if they could change their life. That's something that I would do, but uh, time was gone, and I couldn't do anything about it. (laughs) So, Yeah. Yeah. But you still had a successful uh, time at Arkansas, right? I mean, you had oh, several. Yes. I, I broke two records while I was at Arkansas, yes. That's sure incredible. Did. I broke, I don't know if I said this while going up, but I broke five records when I was Paragu in 1957. And, all and those five are still those, standing, They're right? still standing yeah. today, yes, sir. What do you think, um, as far as running goes, how much of it is God-given, just and how much of it is like you can actually work Both at? Both ways. They said... My grandfather uh, was only about uh, 130, 130 pounds is all. Only stood about five six. But they said my grandfather was lightning fast. My dad also was very fast. But I remember having a story told to me when I was a senior in high school about my grandfather. This man came up to me one day and he said, Alvin, I want to tell you a story about your grandfather and your father. I said, okay, what's that? He said he could remember at Harmon Playfield, my, my dad went to high school at Walcott. And he said, I can remember at Harmon Playfield, years ago on the track there, they were having a big track meet. And said, your dad was over ready to run the 220 and said, your grandfather, when street shoes were running inside on the grass, telling your dad to run, he's loafing. Quit loafing, Major. Run, <laughs> run. <laughs> Wow. So I inherited, my, I inherited a lot of speed, but I took, I guess, what I had and developed it and pushed it further on the thing. Yeah. So did you continue running when you got out of college, or did you give it up? 
I gave it up for, uh, I didn't go back to running at all because I, the last year I was in college was in 59, and I went back running in, uh, what did we say there, 90, started in 96, I okay. think it was. So in 96, what happened there? Well, they got after me to run in the Senior Olympics, and then I hadn't ran in 40 years. I weighed 191 pounds, most I'd ever weighed in my lifetime. And I went to the Senior Olympics and tried it, but as soon as I came out of the blocks, I could tell my hamstrings are pulled on me, and I just backed off. Came home, and I thought, Alvin, could you ever run again? Because you're how old at that point? I was was, uh, 56 years old Mm -hmm. then. But I decided to see if I could. So for the whole next year, I ran every day. Every day I ran. How did your body hold up to that? Did you not have... Like, well, it took it a while to get used to it. It did? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I lost down from 191 pounds to 168 pounds when the next year rolled around for the Senior Olympics. And I went back to the Senior Olympics then in 97. I won the 100-yard dash that day and won the 220-yard dash that day and took second in the long jump then. And I was 57 years old then. I ran a 12-100 then at 57 years old. In high school, I ran a 9-900. But that was 40 years difference in time on the thing. Wow. Yeah. Was winning those competitions any sweeter as you got older, or were they not as significant to you? Like, when, as you look back, I know, again, you've won over, you know, 400 ribbons and trophies throughout your life. Are there any that jump out at you as, like, man, that's the most special? Mm. Or that meant the most to you at the time? I guess the one thing is uh, the thing that all five records are still selling, standing at Perigo High School, the ran mm-hmm. there. Now, I look at my life, and I think, Alan, what if you'd ran two more years at Arkansas? Because of the times that I ran, I, I, just to give you as an example, in the 11th grade, like on the 220, in the 11th grade, I broke the state record in high school. I ran 22.9. In the 12th grade, high school, I broke my own record. I ran 22.4. The first year at Arkansas, I ran a 21.5. And the second year at Arkansas, I ran a 20.7. So every year's age, you got stronger. I was cutting six to seven tenths of a second with every year. If I had, could have continued to have done that two more years, I would have said some times I think I would have been very, very pleased to have had mm-hmm. today. I think. Yes. I know that you have also a very special memory um, of someone you met, and um, you brought something in even yes. with you, and I'd love for you to talk about exactly what that is. My second year at Arkansas – I, I, on Arkansas's 440-yard relay team, I was the number one man. In other words, I was a starter of the 440-yard relay team. Arkansas was at the Drake Relays in Des Moines, Iowa, which is the largest college relays and helped for years and years and years there. And they had called all of the starters up for the 440-yard relay team that day to come to the starting line. And they took us over to the sideline one at a time. And I reached up and shook this black man's hand he gave me this relay baton I have in my hand here today, and he said, I'm Jesse Owens. Well, Jesse Owens was the 1936 Olympic champion for the United States 
in the 100 meters, 200 meters, 440 relay, and 880 relay. He, he had won four gold medals in the 1936 Olympics. The Olympics then were being held in Berlin, Germany. Hitler, who was at power then, Hitler would not give Jesse Owens his medals because he was a black man. Wow. Later, on in years, Jesse did get his medals. They were all given to him and all. But probably about 12 or 15 years ago, my wife and I were going to Florida one day. And I can't remember exactly where it was, but I think it was in Alabama somewhere. And we saw this, this uh, road sign, big sign, says, visit the Jesse Owens Museum. So we made our way to the Jesse Owens Museum and went through it that day and mm-hmm. all. And I talked to one of the ladies, and I, uh, there were two of the ladies there, and I said, ma'am, could I talk to you just a minute? And they said, yeah. I said, I met Jesse Owens many years ago at the Drake Ridge in Des Moines Highway. They said, you're kidding. I said, no, I'm not kidding. <laughs> so I went through there and I told them a little bit about it and what had happened and all about the baton I have, which I still hold today and everything and all. Uh, later later years then, uh, later on in that year, what I mean to say, Arkansas went to the Shreveport Relays. And I met I met the 1956 Olympic champion in the 100 meters. His name was Bobby Morrow from Abilene Christian College. He was running track then, but he was running what was called unattached. And what unattached meant was he was running as a professional track runner, not as a college runner. And so I got I actually ran against Mr. Morrow that night. Uh, that day and time, uh, Bobby Morrow was considered to be the fastest man alive in the world. Really? Yes. How did that How did that race go? Bobby won it, but I could nearly reach out and touch him. So I mean, he he was faster. But that's you incredible. To, you have to look at this also. I was twenty years old then. Bobby Morrow would have been twenty six or twenty seven years old. The fastest sprinters in the world are 25, 26, or 27 years of age. That's when you hit your prime. That's right. The fastest quarter milers in the world are in the age of 30 or 31 years old. The fastest milers in the world are 35 to 40 years of age. That's just the way it breaks down on the thing, yes. I would have never known that. What is that about? Just the way the muscles develop? and I guess. And endurance, strength. So you look back at that, and you're like, man, if I just would have hung in there like five to seven more years. Well, I think. You ever look back and think about that? Like, if I don't yes, five to seven years, maybe I, I could have been at one time the fastest think, man in the world. I think if I had went two more years to Arkansas, that there was a good chance that I could have made the, na- the next Olympic team for the United States, which would have been the 1960 Olympic team. Yes. Does that ever bother you when you look back? Well, we're all disappointed sometimes, and I've been disappointed also, but. The good Lord's been very good to me, uh, giving me more in my lifetime than I ever thought that I would have, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, so the Senior Olympics, to get back to that. Okay. Um, did you, once you, see, so you won, I made, took notes too, you won two events and finished second and a third. Yes. And then you qualified, I guess, for nationals. Yes, Is that correct? I did. Did you ever get a chance to compete in those? 
Okay, I tr- after I'd qualified to go to the U.S. Nationals, I uh, began to uh, That would have been September. Yeah, that would have been in September. I continued to run through the rest of that year, and I ran in the spring of the next year. Uh, I actually ran one meet in, in, a, in a college meet against at Arkansas State just to run against competition because you will perform better and do better than you are just trying to run yourself. You're 57 running against college. Yes. <laughs> uh, I also ran in some high school meets, and uh, I remember that back at that day and time, Hoxie had put in the first new type of track anywhere in this part of the state, and I'd heard about it. And I got in touch with a Hoxie coach that day. I mean, over there, and I asked him if he would care if I came and ran him. Told him who I was and what I was doing it for. And he said that's fine. So I went over there, and I remember there were five heats for the hundred that day. And I said, "Put me in the slowest heat," <laughs> because here I am, fifty-seven years old, trying to run against seventeen and eighteen-year-old mm-hmm. high school boys. And anyway. Uh, I did. I did beat two of the high school boys that day, which I thought I was tickled to death of that on the thing. You know, so, but I also had been keeping up with what the high school girls were running in the two hundred and twenty yard dash, and I looked at their times, what they were running on. I thought, you know, I could really be real competitive. I think on the two twenty for the girls. So when the two twenty came around, I asked the coach, would he care if I ran in the two twenty yard dash? He said, no. He said there was, I think, three or four heats. And then, well, I just stayed there with him. When they called the girls to the line, the girl in lane two never showed up. So he said, Alvin, go get in lane two. So I stepped on the track. When I did, the girl in lane one saw me step on the track, but the other girls, three, four, five, six, and seven, never even knew that I'd stepped on the track. Hmm. So when the gun went off, I did well with him. Uh, by the time he got to, to the middle of the curve, I had the stagger made up. I came around the curve and still had it and lit it for probably about, oh, 180 or 190 yards. And I just literally ran out of gas. And this one girl from Pocahontas, I believe where she's from, actually beat me. Later on that night, uh, when I went up to the and sat down in the stands. They were getting ready to run the mile relay. And this girl came up, and she was talking to her coach. And, and the coach, her coach had done met me and was talking with me. And she said, well, coach said, when I saw there was a man running, said, it scared me. <laughs> he said, well, I said, you might want to thank that man over there. He said, because he just pushed you the fastest time you've ran all year. Mm. So anyway, I you know I enjoyed running and all that, and I continued to run on, and I made a r- real bad mistake. A little three or four weeks after that, Paragu was having a track meet, and the temperature was only about sixty-two degrees, and that's real, real cold for a sprinter to be running. A miler can handle that, but a sprinter can't do it because your muscles react differently. So, and so anyway, I came to run in the meet here at Paragu. I tried to get warm and tried to get warm, thought I was warm. But as soon as I came out of the blocks, I completely blew what you call your left hamstring. And I went down and I turned and rolled and rolled and rolled. I, I could not get up. I couldn't walk. So the guys picked me up and carried me to the truck. After that, I was on crutches 
for over a month, and after that it took me about six months to get before I could walk without dragging my left leg. So that was when I, I decided to quit it and give it up because I was I, – I come real close. Our doctor was Dr. Benny Mitchell. He and I ran – high school track together and he told me he said alan he said you came real close to tearing your muscle completely loose from the bone and he said that's a devastating injury you might never recover from it completely so that was when i quit my days of running right there and that was in 97 yes you've not run since no sir what do you do you do anything to stay in shape because you look like you're in great shape how do well, you 81 i'm 82 82 i uh been fortunate the Lord give me good health. Yeah. I mean, I've you had my great. problems. I have my problems. I mean, I, I have both knees been totally replaced. Is that from running? Probably. Yes, probably. I've had cancer of the prostate. I had cancer two different times of the colon. I had two vertebrae in my back worked on. But I'm still, my good, famous saying is, I'm still on the top side of the grass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... You know, obviously, you've won a lot. You've lost some too. Yes. What do do you love winning or hate losing more? Which one? Oh, I don't know if I ever looked at it in that way, particularly on a thing. I've always been someone that just I didn't give a hundred percent. I tried to give a hundred and ten percent. That's just uh, that's just that's just the way I looked at life on a thing. Same time in my lifetime, uh, for years and years, uh, my life and I had uh, six different music stores, one in Paragou, one in Walnut Ridge, three in Jonesburg, and one in Plasky, Tennessee. And I always tried to be a winner in them, and we were winners. The good Lord blessed us beyond our wildest, wildest imagination, mm-hmm. I think. And uh, speaking of my wife, my wife and I, we married on January the 25th of 1959. Wow. I still have the same pretty lady. Wow. Not many people can say that they've been married to their wife for that many years. Wow. Same 1959. Yes, sir. It's a lot of years. Yes. Man, we should just do a whole podcast on what you've learned about marriage and <laughs> <laughs> how, to go, how to go the distance in your marriage. How about that one, Bill? That's uh, let them know that most of the time they're right. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty good advice. As you look back on your life, um, you know the biggest part of it's behind you. Yes. What are you most proud of? I'm proud of many many things. Um, <clears throat> I was proud always of my athletic abilities. I'm also very very proud of my business abilities. I can remember something back many years ago. Actually, this for many years. When I got out of college, I came back and worked for my dad in the jewelry store. That would have been in '59. Arnold's and Jewelry, Arnold's which, jewelry. if anybody's been in Paragold for, I guess, since the '90s at least, that far back, then everyone will be familiar. My da- well, my dad moved the jewelry store to Paragold in nineteen and thirty and nineteen and forty-nine, and it went until the end of the '90s, right? Yes, that's what it called. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I look at that, and I've been very fortunate. The good Lord has blessed me beyond my wild, wildest dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not upset or afraid to say that uh, I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. 
I pray daily. And you know, when I first started praying, really a lot was when I was in high school, I used to uh, be the person who always took the kickoffs and took the punts. And I would say, Lord, please help me catch this ball. Mm-hmm. But uh, treat your other people like you want to be treated. That is something I remember my father told me. He said, Alvin, he said, uh, always treat your customer as if you were their customer. And one other thing he told me, he said, always live within your means. Hmm. And I've always done that. You know, what is it for you that you feel as you even talk about that? Because I can tell it moves you emotionally. And as you look back of well, being a kid in those football games and God helped me to catch this ball. I was born on February the 6th of 1939. I remember I used to always, when I was in high school, be trying to catch the ball. And I used to be able to pray then for the Lord to help me do that. Uh, I still pray to the Lord today. Uh, one of the things that uh, I pray for daily is the Lord kill this terrible virus. Hmm. We have, this virus has killed no telling how many people, not only, not only in this country, but other countries. I just want you to know that it's good for me to see that in you as much as it is to hear these stories about all of your achievements, just to see here's a man who 82 years old and you just seem to be in a, in a good place. You seem to be healthy and it gives me something to aspire to be. You're not just physically, but yeah, you seem like you're in a good place emotionally. You know, as I told you earlier, of course I was born February the 6th, 1939 in Rector, Arkansas. On February the 6th of 1949, on my birthday, I walked the aisle at First Baptist Church and gave my life to the Lord. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm very glad uh, that you took time to be able to sit with us today to share some of your story. I feel there's so much that we could still learn from you. Let me ask you this, and then we'll be done, is as you look back on all of your achievements, on even some of your failures, all those things. What have you? What lessons, and particularly around running, and um, what do you feel like that it teaches us about life? Anything that you've you, taken away from that that you think you, that we can apply? You get out of it what you put into it. That's basically it. Uh, when I was in running, when I was playing football, whether it was in the business world or whatever. If you just halfway do it, you're just going to halfway achieve. You've got to go above and beyond. That's that's kind of the way I look at my life on the thing. I remember this is kind of getting off the story, but I want to kind of think some, add something I think you might mm-hmm. be interested in. Right across the street from the building we're in was a building for many, many years. was called the Burdick Company. It was a big three-story building there. It had... 46,000 square footage in it. At one time, my wife and I rented the whole building. We had uh, Arnold's Music Center and a big part of it that we sold musical supplies and accessories and everything. The other part of it, we had a low-end furniture store in it. 
And in the upstairs, I had storage up there because, I, as I said, I was kind of like the old country peddler years and years ago. And I carried parts up there, stored up there and everything and all. Uh, I can remember one thing, uh, talking about a little bit of fall ago, but I used to sell microphones and microphone stands mm-hmm. and stuff like this for a company called Atlas Stands. I was in a little old town of Perigu, Arkansas, back many years ago, and I decided when I got in the wholesale business, I wanted to sell Atlas Stands. I called them and called them and called them and called them. Finally, one day, I remember I was in the store where we originally started, which was down next to Clyde Max on the south end of Pruitt Street, and I had this salesman come in there, and he said, I want to see Alvin Arnold, and I said, I'm him. He said, I don't know why they sent me here. He said, because he already had an account in Paragoof, which is called Martin Wholesale. I couldn't think of it a while ago. It's called Martin Wholesale. And he said, I don't know why they sent me here. And I said, well, I'm doing something different than Martin Wholesale is. I have a big two-and-a-half-ton Bob truck, and I have a business called Arnold's Wholesale, and I travel in about a 300-mile radius all the way around Paragoof. And I wholesale to music stores and electronic stores. And I would like to take on the line of Atlas Stands. He said, well, I already have an account here. I said, I know that. I said, let me ask you a question. On. So there was a stand called MS10C. That was a part number on it. I said, what's the absolute cheapest price that you could sell me MS10C stands for? He said, well, Mr. Arnold, you could never sell that many. I said, that's not what I asked you. I said, what is the cheapest price? He looked it up. He said, well, if you bought them a gross at a time, we would give you an extra 10% discount off the the cheapest price, plus we would pay freight on them to you. And I said, okay, what is the cheapest price you could sell BB1s, which was the baby boom for the stands? Mm -hmm. And he told me, and he said the same thing. If you bought them a gross at a time, you get an extra 10% off them, and we would pay the freight on them to you. So we talked on there a little bit that day, and uh, I said, uh, okay. My phone rung about that time, and I had to go to the back and get the phone, talk to who it was then. I sat down and figured out what a gross of MS10Cs was, a gross of BB1s was, and I wrote a check for the wholesale company. And I came back out and handed him this check. I said, I want a gross of MS-10C stands and a gross of BB-1s. He said, Mr. Arnold, there ain't a way in the world you could ever sell it. I said, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> you don't have to worry about your money. Right here's your money. You just send them to me. So they sent them to me. First time when I went on the road after I got them was about two weeks later. When I came back in off the road from two weeks, I had less than a dozen stands left. And you started with how many? A gross. Which was how many? 144. 144. And anyway, in two weeks, I was down to less than a dozen. So I called the salesman back up, and I said, this is Alvin Arnold from Arnold's Wholesale. <laughs> and I said, I need another gross in this Tennessee stand. He said, you got to be kidding me. There ain't no way in the world. I said, sir, I wouldn't be calling you if I didn't need them. Anyway, I used to have a letter that I got before I got out of the wholesale business. And I don't know where I lost it or something somewhere. But anyway, I remember getting a letter years ago from Atlas Stands. 
And he said, we would just like to thank you, Mr. Arnold. He said, you have become the largest distributor, not dealer, but you have become the largest distributor in the Mid-South, and they had seven or eight states there in the Mid-South part of the United States. Wow. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> it is. You get out of it what you put in, right? That's exactly right. Now, you don't remember the Burdick Company here. I want to just say a little bit. That that's the, was on the corner across here from what was Security Bank and across from Belks here. The Burdick Company, fellas, was the Walmart of the past for Paragoo. Hmm. I know you don't know what I'm t- going to tell you, but hmm. they sold new tractors and new cars, all, new trucks off the third floor of that building. They sold everything under the sun. They sold clothes. They sold furniture. They sold food. Just whatever it was, they owned at one time here in Paragu and in the, and in the southeast corner of Missouri, they owned something owned something like twenty seven or twenty eight thousand acres of farm wow. property. They sharecropped had sharecroppers that ran and did all these farm farm and everything and all. And I heard I, I, I researched that after I got the building and everything years ago, all this information. At that day and time, the Burdick Company here in Paragu, Arkansas, was lar- the largest company between St. Louis and New Orleans. At that day and time, it was bigger than anything Memphis had to offer. Jeez, I had no idea. Yes, it was. It was a huge, huge. Until what year? They, I can't tell you how many years for sure it was. They, they, the, the original building burnt down years ago, and yeah. they built it back. But it was back in like the teens and the 20s and the 30s okay. and the 40s. Uh, and and Bill Gatz Sr., during the Depression, lived in Texas, I think. And I don't know how they found out about it, but they hired Bill Gatz Sr. to come to Paragu to see if they could pull the Burdick Company out of the Depression thing, going into failure. Mm-hmm. And he did. And uh, uh, I forget how many years was after that that they stayed in business and everything and all. But the, that building, if you can find a picture of it, something somewhere, it was a, it was a huge, big, huge, big building. That thing, and it was had all the one of the things that really got my attention. Let's just say that years ago they owned a sharecropper and they owed him two thousand dollars for his doing the farming, the land, and everything on the land and all. They would give him a thousand dollars in cash, and then give him a thousand dollars in script that was redeemable only at the Burdick Company. Mm. So they got half of it back for whether it's groceries or clothes or furniture or whatever. The Burdick Company back, like I say, it was the Walmart of the past for Paris. If you look at the uh, downtown pictures, because there are some floating out there of Paragold back, you know, in the fifties and before that, there were several buildings that are taller, so almost oh yes, three like you said, three times. The well, height the, of any building we have down here now. Well, the Burdick Company several was, of those was, a lot, was a dot lot taller than the building is here. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot It's taller. crazy to think about. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you again so much for your time and for sharing. We'll have to have you back on because I just feel <laughs> there's so much that we can pull from you, learn from you. And so, um, yeah, thanks again. Thank you for having me. All right. So Alvin Arnold has left the building. Bill. Does that uh, inspire you to start running? Nope. Just going to stay on your bike? I'd like to run a little bit, but... 
I, it's a different muscle group and it's hard. There's a part of me that is like, when I hear those stories, I'm like, I want to start running. <laughs> but then he was like, I had two knee replacements and I'm like, no, yeah, maybe biking or swimming would be yeah. better. Well, but I see the benefits. I see the benefits. I love the heart behind it. I love, uh, just how this is a man who, despite what did he say, got up to like 190 pounds. I think he's only five seven or five eight, and just like you know what, I'm gonna start running again, and then just like made it happen. And dude, he had to have gone through like some pain, and suffering, and like you know, like my knees and back or whatever hurts. And I'm not gonna run. So I can imagine being you know that age when he started, and yet he continued to push forward. And so I was also surprised by. Uh, after the podcast, as we were leaving, just how much you knew about the history of Paragold. So we're going to maybe have to have him back on and share more about that because I've studied a lot about the history of Paragold. He was telling me things I'd never heard of. So anyways, um, hey, if you're still listening, thanks so much for tuning in. As always, we want to encourage you to um, give us a review on uh, iTunes. Um, I believe you can also give us five stars and um, more than that's just like a pat on the back for us. That helps more people find uh, the Paragold podcast and learn about the amazing people living here in Paragold. And so um, if you can, please go and do that. Um, also, um, if this is your first time listening, you didn't already know, we are on all the social media platforms. And so we are on Instagram, we are on Facebook. Uh, you can sign up for our email list, just go to our website, www.paragoldpodcast.com, um, and you can uh, subscribe there. Again, thanks so much for listening. Until next time.